Welcome to Inflect, where we discuss navigating the critical inflection points of business and life. These conversations were previously known as fireside chats. In this episode, Rachel Lockett and Michael Daney discuss the innovations and applications of generative AI and unpack the explosive growth of tools like ChatGPT. Rachel is the Chief Information Officer at Poled Companies and has worked with Michael and the FlexPoint team on several transformation projects. Here's more from Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Good, welcome back. I feel like we just did a fireside chat, but alas, technology has evolved and changed in just a few months. So I'm glad you're back to talk about it. And I topic. always love talking about technology with you. So I'll come <laughs> back as often as you'll have me. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining. And just as background for anyone who saw our chat, I guess it was several months ago, um, and might be wondering, why, why are we doing this again? Um, in the time since we talked before, Rachel and I both have been kind of going back and forth about ChatGPT, which has definitely captured the cultural zeitgeist and the attention of, of the world, I think, with how quickly it has uh, kind of grown in, in its usage. Um, and I think both of us have just been thinking about all the use cases and the ways that this could be could be used in the enterprise setting. And we did a talk a few weeks back with some folks in your group and thought, hey, this might be good to to add this into the fireside chat library. So that's why we're back to talk today about chat yeah. GPT. Yeah, it's been amazing, the explosive growth. And I shared this story with you earlier, but the way I came to learn about it was um, a little surprising to me. So my son, as you know, he's a college student and he, he called me up one day and he never calls. He always texts, right? But he actually called me. He said, mom, there's this really cool new tool that'll write essays for you. You can put in a prompt and you can tell it how many uh, you know, sources you need it to cite and, and what questions you need it to answer. And it'll write these amazing essays. And so naturally I responded with a lecture on academic integrity. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I didn't think much more about it. And then a few days later, I know a, a colleague had posted something on um, LinkedIn about both ChatGPT and Lenza. And I took a minute to, they, they tagged me. And so I took a minute to research Lenza and I, you know, downloaded the app and I, I but I, I stopped at the point where you had to purchase a subscription in order to create, um, what is it? A magic avatar, right? And uh -huh. I said, ah, that just sounds kind of gimmicky, not anything I need. And I don't feel like signing up for something else and putting my credit card number in another <laughs> place out there. So I, I just, you know, moved along. And of course that was all in the first, second week of December and the holidays came and I kind of took a little social media break and I come back right after the new year and open up LinkedIn and oh my gosh, like every third post was about chat GPT. And I was like, oh, what did I miss? <laughs> so I quickly researched it and it was after I, you know, it was, it was really easy, right? You just log in, put in your email address, create an open AI account and start typing in prompts. And it was right as I was coming up with that first prompt that it occurred to me, this is the tool my son called me about. <laughs> and then I went, oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was kind of cool and exciting. And then, then just the explosive growth, you know, how it went from launch on November 30th to a million users in five days, just absolutely stunning. Well, I don't know if you experienced this too, but like right when it started to kind of really be in the news all over LinkedIn, I, you know, went to try it out. And that was right in the phase when it couldn't handle the usage. And it was like, sure. come back, try again later. So I almost felt like I was 
waiting for the debut of a new movie or a fancy new restaurant or something like when can I actually get in and then I spent some time over a weekend just playing with it and uh, it's so fascinating and I think as we'll talk about it is kind of bringing into uh into the consciousness or into view this underlying technology that's been there but making it a little more consumable that's the key that we've talked about. So, so talk about this, you know, uh, where ChatGPT fits in because ChatGPT itself isn't, you know, the the new groundbreaking technology. It's kind of that combination of of other technologies that have been in development. But really, what they've done is they've made it accessible and consumable to everyone. So, so as you did before, talk a little bit about, you know, what is really the technology behind it and where it's come from. Yeah, I mean, I, I I made this comment to someone recently. I think ChatGPT is the thing that CIOs kids are talking about. Generative AI is the underlying tech the CIOs are actually talking about. And so, you know, to your point, ChatGPT is a natural language processing AI model that's trained on a massive data set of text and is really able to then, based on a prompt, generate net new text based on what it perceives to be the way sentences should be structured and the the words and the content and, and all that. Um, and, and that is the cool shiny object that everyone's playing with and saying, hey, chat GPT, will you write me a, a haiku about, you know, digital transformation or will you write me a, a sonnet about XYZ? But underneath that is just this broader discipline of generative AI, which we've talked about is really the idea of saying, it's not just AI in a pattern recognition way or a, you know, there's like clustering models or some of these more traditional um, kind of forms of machine learning and AI. Generative AI is generating new content. So it's saying, hey, based on all the rules you've set, what, how you've designed me the model to learn, I am going to generate new content based on the prompt. And so in this case, it's all text-based with ChatGPT, but you could think about generative AI generating new music based mm-hmm. on a data set of, of past music or images. That's really something that um, there's some some other tools like Dolly you might have heard of or Dolly yeah. 2, where they're generating new images based on prompts. And that creates all sorts of trademark and deep fake issues and all that that's a a whole nother story but I think all that is to say the underlying concept of a model being able to generate something new I think that's really the game-changing piece here that could be useful and I think an additional um, feature or capability that's really exciting is is of course, it's been trained. It's it's been ChatGPT itself has been trained for several years, and and that's um, part of the the capability. But also the ability, just in my own conversation with it, to refine the prompt. So I put in a prompt and ask it to write something, and then it it produces the output back. And and uh, I I just did this the other day. I said, "That's good, but can you make it a little less formal?" And it replied and said, "Okay, how's this?" <laughs> Or um, another time I said, uh, I'd like you to to add in a little bit of a, you know, an element of this. And it actually replied and said, that's a great idea. Here's another great <laughs> very validated. Yeah. But what I think is important about that, and this gets back to kind of the academic integrity comment from earlier. I think that this is going to change, as a lot of technologies do, they change how we how we think about learning and and, and education. And just like 
spell check and, and you know, some of those things um, decreased the importance of learning spelling and grammar, sadly, makes me want to cry. But um, I think this is changing how our, what our children really need to learn because now it becomes more important to learn how to ask the questions, how to write the prompts because they've got all of the knowledge yep. in the world at their fingertips. Why make them memorize and learn things that they can get so easily, but where the skill and the, the, the true knowledge really lies is in how to write the prompts and how to ask the questions. Well said. And I think that, um, what's the term you and I've talked about digital dexterity is a uh, sure. topic yeah. we've talked about in the past. And I, I think of that here of how do we enable and, and train and empower the humans to interact with the machines or the models, mm -hmm. the algorithms in a way, I think that the idea of how do you ask the right question or write the right prompt is certainly useful for individual users with chat GPT, but especially as we think about how do we use this technology for enterprise use cases, it's not as simple as just saying, we're going to use AI to solve this problem. It's about what's the interaction and the handoff between the thought leader or expert or person who has been doing all of this manually with the algorithm that might be taking over 10% of the process or running with, with a piece of it. Right. So you mentioned the practical applications or the enterprise usage. What are some of the practical applications of generative AI, not just ChatGP, but the concept overall, either that yeah. you've seen or that you've um, started to explore and do work with for yeah. clients or elsewhere? Good question. So there's a few that, that are almost like, yeah, no duh kind of use cases that I think make a lot of sense around chatbots for customer service use cases and content generation. And I can speak to those in a little bit more detail. And then there are some that I think most folks wouldn't immediately think about around code generation and debugging. I want to come back to that in a minute, but I think that's kind of a little bit more of a nuanced use case. But on the the chatbots, right? I mean, I I uh, was flying home from Minneapolis last Friday night. Flight got diverted to Chicago because of bad weather. So mm -hmm. I'm on the plane, immediately open the Delta app to try to get rebooked or figure out how I'm going to get home. And it immediately says, you want to talk, you want to chat with us? So I start chatting with the bot for like 15 minutes before it handed me off to someone. But you can think about that amped up, right? With ChatGPT, not only kind of doing the if, if then statements and give me this confirmation number, but really making it more of a conversation um, around the problem trying to be solved in the way that it's communicating with the user. So I think from a customer service center, omni-channel experience, we're gonna see a lot more um, of that in the coming years. I think from a content generation perspective, I mean, thinking about, um, you know, the house next door for me is, is for sale. Someone spent time writing a paragraph to describe that house and why someone should buy it. There's a generative AI use case for that to say, yeah. based on all these inputs, go write a description that's going to pull someone in and say they want to buy this house. You can think about that in a commercial real estate setting very right. similarly. Um, I was walking down the hall the other day and our communications director stopped me because she had read my LinkedIn post about yeah. ChatGPT a few weeks ago. And she said, oh my gosh, it's the greatest thing ever. It's going to make me so much better at my job. Yeah. But she explained that in her sort of peer group of communications directors, there are some who are you know, worried and, and yeah. scared and, oh my gosh, and what does this mean for, you know, 
our jobs and for, you know, and then the copyright concerns and things like that. And she said, not me, <laughs> this is going to make me so much more efficient yeah. and I can focus on the things that, that only I can do and, and get rid of the things that can be automated. And that's, I mean, I really think that's the best approach. Yeah, totally. But back to back to the practical applications. What else? Well, but I think that's I mean, that's you have seen this in the course of your career and I have too. That's always the case with new technologies, is not how do you fight it, it's how do you adapt and and kind of collaborate with the new technology in a way that's that's good. So I think the, the last thing on kind of the, the content piece, then I'll talk about coding, is I think there's a huge play around knowledge management and knowledge bases here too. Um, I think at a lot of organizations, folks that are new and are onboarding or are in a new role or whatever the case may be, they have a question. They probably go look in SharePoint and do a search or in some wiki or through training materials. You can imagine saying, hey, when you're new to this company, talk to our chat GPT um, uh, kind of interface, and it's going to go search through all the knowledge base out there and generate back an answer to your question of how do I submit my expense report or how do I, um, you know, do X, Y, Z. So I think I think that's something we'll start to see in the enterprise setting. There's already some tools sprouting up that are really trying to play into that space. Um, and then the last thing that I alluded to is there's some some stuff already in flight around using generative AI not only for writing and generating code, but more so for debugging code. Sure. So you know this, so many developers spend so much of their time not writing the code, it's debugging it when it's not doing what it should. And there's a, a real opportunity there to use the gener generative AI to basically say, hey, I would have expected this to be in the script or in the code and I didn't. Mm -hmm. Go look in line 146 and see if you've got the right... Um, the right variable or the right syntax or that kind of thing in there. Sure. Or what about documentation and, and all of yeah, those? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The reasons I got out of programming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No more commenting in code if you can like get to it all through a right. through a generative AI interface. What uh what about in the work that you're doing with Polad and your operating companies? Are you I'm sure maybe not using it yet, but thoughts yeah. about about well we just the 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 stage we're at is I went to you know our our uh, leadership team meeting and just kind of did that same introductory session, educating yeah. them. You know, I mean, I even started back at what G, P, and T stand for <laughs> and then um, opened it up and had them write some prompts and, they, you know, they were kind of blown away. Our chief legal officer was like, um, I might be replaced <laughs> pretty soon. She actually asked it to write up a, a contract for something and it did a decent job. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think about some of the potential applications. As you know, we own a group of automotive dealerships, and I, I actually asked uh, one of the leaders there. I said, "How long before generative AI can replace service advisors?" And you know, a little moment of panic in their eyes. <laughs> um, or you already alluded to writing the lease abstracts in yeah. commercial real estate, things like that. So I, I'm pretty excited about the potential future. Um, but as with most things, you know, it's going to take time, and it's going to take that change management and adoption process and people getting familiar with with the concept but that's why i love what chat gpt has done is it's made it accessible to everyone so people can start to get familiar with the ideas and it's you know being built into microsoft teams and other tools they're going to start to see it and be familiar with it and then and that's part of that digital dexterity progress and, and maturity yeah. processes then they'll start thinking about 
how could this actually make my job easier instead of feeling threatened by it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was reflecting on this this morning, but even in the month or so, however long it's been since we we did the talk with with some of the IT leaders within your organization, I think we've already kind of started to go from the peak of inflated expectations to the, I don't know what they call it, the valley of disillusionment. Trough of delusionment, yes. disillusionment, yeah. Exactly. And, and some of it is like all these enterprise software companies, whether it's Bing or Teams with Microsoft or Salesforce, they're trying to get generative AI and chat GPT or BARD or the various tools into the tools as fast as possible. And then some of them are kind of like falling on their face a little bit because of it being early and still there's so much to evolve. And, and so I think it's interesting that it kind of has like the world's attention and the mm -hmm. eyes are watching to see, see how it goes. I think it's going to be really in interesting to see over the coming years as enterprises embrace it, as the software companies embrace it, how they kind of move out of that, uh, out of that trough of disillusionment and then get into more. I think there's something yeah. for us to learn from that rapid, you know, explosive growth since launch. I think that, you know, a couple of things I asked myself, well, how did they do this? How did it go from, you know, zero to 1 million users in five days? And then it's up over a hundred million now, I think probably way beyond that. I haven't checked lately, but you know, how did they accomplish that when so many other things took months, even years to reach that point? And I think there's a couple of things. Um, first of all, as we already mentioned in the beginning, the ease of access, you know, you didn't have to pay a subscription fee. Yeah. yeah you might've, you know, shown up at a day when it was <laughs> too busy, but you know, wait yeah. a few hours or wait till midnight and you'll be fine. Um, but that, that low barrier to entry, you know, you don't have to buy an expensive piece of equipment. You don't have to give yeah. them a bunch of personal data, you know, input an email address and you're good. Yeah. I think that was key. And then the other thing was, um, I, when I was pondering this and trying to figure it out, I called up my son and I said, I probably just texted him actually. And I said, <laughs> Hey, you remember that tool you told me about that writes really great essays? And he's like, no, I'm not using it, mom. Don't worry. <laughs> I said, no, no, no. Tell me where you heard about it. And he replied, YouTube, duh. <laughs> the viral spread, you know, it spread yes. among the college students. Like you said, the CIO's kids, that's how we learned about it. Yeah. And I think there's something to be learned there as well. Um, so, and, and, and then just the fun aspect, you know, the examples of, like, I asked it to write a love note, you know, write a love yeah. letter to my husband and it came up with something really generic. And then I refined my prompt and I gave it a little bit more information about how long we've been together and how many kids yeah. we have and what I like about him. And then it wrote something that brought yeah, tears cool. to my eyes, you know? So I think that, uh, that fun aspect is another piece that we can learn and apply when we're trying to drive adoption yeah. of technology tools elsewhere. I mean, I, I think just to underscore that, something you and I have talked about in, the, in some of the various projects we've worked on together, but it's really important that the technology is accessible, consumable, dare I say fun sometimes. Like that is not usually how technology transformation looks and feels to employees and customers. It usually feels more like uncomfortable, rush to the finish line, forced change. And so- yeah. I think that's something we definitely can learn from and this. And sitting it's, in a two-hour training session to learn how to yeah. use it. Yeah. Yeah. Versus like, hey, it's kind of self-explanatory. Go log in and try it. Yeah. That that probably won't work on a new ERP. But I think I think you know being inspired by that and the way we go about uh, transformation efforts is is certainly a great lesson to take from this.
So let's talk for a minute about uh, some of the, the concerns. So what are the weaknesses, the, the ethical and legal considerations? Started to allude to it a little bit, but you know, what are some of those things that's gonna drag it down into that trough of disillusionment and, and create problems and headaches going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the easiest way to describe it in my pers- or from my perspective is there just aren't a lot of guardrails because it's so new. And what always happens is new technology creates the necessity for new counter technologies or guardrails or whatever you want to call it to manage that. And so, you know, the, the, the easy examples here are generating images to say, okay, hey, Dolly, right, the image generating, mm-hmm. generating one, make me a picture of Michael uh standing in the middle of the street with an advertisement in his hand for a competing consulting firm right well i don't want that out there i want flex point all the way so right and so that there's all that around how do we protect against those deep fakes or those images Mm -hmm. that are kind of creating misinformation so to say and i think with the text examples we've been talking a lot about chat gpt um chat gpt doesn't really have a good filter, so to say. It lacks some context sometimes. It has some bias in the data set it was trained on. And so, you know, if if I said chat GPT, what do you think of my shirt today? It might say terrible. I hate purple. If I asked a human, they might say, oh, it's not my favorite, but you do you, looks right? Good on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so th- th- there's things like that where I think the lack of context, the ethical risks around misinformation, bias, um, and fakes I think those are, are a couple there's of even things. accuracy concerns I mean I yeah. asked it to just to um, tell me about you know the company I work for and you know nine out of ten points were accurate but it claimed that we owned a business we don't own yeah. <laughs> um, and that we were still in a business that we sold five years ago so uh, you know there's still some accuracy concern around that as well but I, I think people are really mostly concerned about some of the ethical considerations and how do I know that this is you know, something that was created by a human versus yeah. a machine. And do I care? Absolutely. Well, I, I'm excited to watch this and see it evolve. And and really, like we talked about, see it move from the fun use case that everyone's looking at and playing with, moving towards how are we actually leveraging this in the business setting to, to kind of drive value. So I think it's going to be a fun, fun journey. For sure. I'm looking forward to where it takes us and new opportunities that it opens up and makes available and uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation with you. I can't wait to hear about, you know, the next, uh, the the first client that comes along and asks you to integrate or build something with it. I'll be keeping a close eye on that. Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, Rachel. And uh, probably right around the time we get this published, there will be some new technology or trend out there that will require us to do, uh, do another one. We'll do it again. Sounds good. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Take care.